You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. I am Marcus. It is week 29 of the Grassroots Podcast Q&A. Grassroots Podcast, the podcast for the unsigned artist. And uh, for those of you who are loading your stuff back in your battered old transit again and going back out to work again, congratulations. I am out myself, which is quite uh, rare. If somebody had told me that in the year 2021, the first show I would play of the year would be the 11th of June, I would not have believed it. But there we are, having done sort of every Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the best part of 25, 30 years to have that amount of time off. Um, And I've had to put the big ones in just to make sure I've been ready and make sure that I've been rehearsing and getting everything right so I don't let anybody down. It's important to me to, you know, to try and be at my best. And um, whilst this show was a bit of an unexpected one for me, I was expecting to start again on the 25th. So I needed that, maybe needed that two extra weeks to get that extra um, half a stone off that I've been working hard to get the weight down just so I could play the part. Um, But uh, we'll see what happens tonight. I'm looking forward to it. It felt weird. Um, sorting my stuff out and getting it all ready for um, for the show. And it's, it's, it's strange how quickly it comes back to you. You're loading your um, car in a certain way so you can check everything as you do and stuff like that. But um, anyway, um, thank you again for your subscriptions. Thank you again for adding for following me on Spotify, which I've never added that before. Um, and thank you for listening and, and for sending in your questions again. Um, which I'll be working through in a minute. Before I answer any of these, remember that these um, questions and these answers I give are based on the questions you send and are only based on my experiences and my way of finding things in the career that I've had spanning sort of three decades as I approach the fourth decade of um, performing. Um, So if there's anything that you can take from this, I'm over the moon. If you think I'm talking a load of old nonsense, then look, I'm sorry with it. I'm sorry about that, but maybe I just didn't do it your way, and maybe your way's better. So, uh, without further ado, I want to say a quick thank you actually to a friend of mine, Helen, who has done me a big favour this week and managed to um, sort a few questions out for me. I, I asked her to um, help me with a few of the questions because I, I had so many things coming in, and I jotted a few things down. Um, where I'd seen them on the email and Helen took the time to type them for me and to actually send them to me in typed form so I could make um, sense of the stuff I'd written down. So I want to thank Helen, uh, Mandolin Helen, you know who you are, um, in Billericay, who's currently on holiday this week and uh, enjoying um, some time away on a boat. So um, have, a, have a lovely holiday. Um, here we go. First question of this week. Is, uh, hi, Marcus, and this comes from Dennis. Dennis is over there in Thundersley, and Dennis says, Dennis says, Hi, Marcus, I just wondered, having seen you perform a few times, do you think that you perform differently with or without the guitar? Um, hello, Dennis. I hope you're enjoying your day. It's uh, quite a nice day today. It's nice and cool after the three or four days of boiling hot sun we've had. Um, yeah, you do. Um, I've, just just to start with a, with a funny story, not funny ha-ha, but funny in as much as, you know, um, the way people's mind works. Many times I've got a few friends of mine who would be in the studio and sometimes when you're in the studio, the band would record everything and then you would go in and put your vocals on afterwards. And um, he, he'd said to me, I can't, just can't do it. I, I'm going in there and I haven't got the guitar. So he would say, can I hold my guitar while I do the vocal? So that I am still, um, you know, it feels like I'm playing because otherwise standing there and singing, um, I feel strange doing it. 
So I've come across that. I've never felt a need to do that myself. But when I first performed away from the band, um, I took the opportunity. And when I when I perform these days and I work with uh, Ken or uh, work with Cheryl or work with other projects, sometimes on my own. Um, yeah, I, I, I do. But you do perform differently and you have to st kind of stand in a different way. Um, and it's much more um, there's, there's a lot more freedom but I think um, you have to explore it. You can't stand in the same way when you're singing um, as you can when, when you're playing a guitar. But I've always said that you can use the mic stand as like a prop and you can lean on it. You can drop it down and lean on it. If you're doing Rat Pack, it has an image about it. You can drag it across the stage if you're on Stuart, you know. Um, so the mic stand becomes another prop that you wouldn't use if you were just stood behind it strumming your guitar. I don't sing any differently, or at least I don't feel that I sing any differently. But I think visually you can do more. You, if you're going for a really, really big notes, you can sort of hold the microphone and, and stand like a bit of a scary monster. You know, you're sort of planting your feet and hitting the note really hard and squeezing the microphone with both hands. And it looks like you're in agony, but you you know, it looks like people are getting their money's worth, Dennis. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever played a whole show um, without playing the guitar at some point and and um but if i if i were to do it i think i probably would feel quite exposed i like to have the guitar and and now and again put it down as a novelty and sing a song in a different way and i think when you're doing that if you're singing in a care home or something you have the opportunity i mean i know with covid and stuff like that so please don't shoot me down but when things are quote unquote normal you're able to use your spare hand to hold somebody's hand while you're singing to them or to, um, you know, just make gestures and point point your finger and sort of make a fist if you're going for a big note and stuff like that, which, of course, you can't do when you're playing guitar. But I think the nuts and bolts of it from actually singing um, from inside yourself, no, you don't sing any differently. I think you perform differently because you don't have a guitar and it leaves you a lot more... Uh, scope and it gives you a lot more freedom to move around and if you've got a wireless mic it gives you the freedom to walk around uh, the venue if you want to within reason I mean you know don't go looking outside in the flower beds but you know step off the stage and I always used to call it um, sort of testing the water so you get a, a wireless microphone and then it's a bit like when you go to the beach that first time you step into the sea you maybe go a couple of steps in and then you go back onto the sand and then the next time you're going up to your knees and then back onto the sand, and then up to your waist, and back onto the sand. And I would kind of suggest, as the as the first half would go on, I'd step out with a microphone sort of a little way, and then a bit further, and a bit further. And by the end of it, I was sort of up to my neck, sort of out in the people while they were dancing. There's a couple of pictures of me um, from the tour uh, 2018, where I've got a crowd around me. I'm right in the middle of the dance floor, and I'm singing and performing, and Cheryl was singing and performing, and we have everybody around us. It it breaks the gap. And uh, I think with a guitar, you can't always do that. What I did in wall to wall uh, at the end of the night would take the wireless mic and the wireless guitar out and finish the song uh, in, the, in the crowd. And many times wall to wall were notorious for playing a song where three members of the band, um, and the drummer had to stay on the stage, but three members of the band were in three separate corners of the room, sat on someone's table and playing, and I would stand and sing. And we just have some fun with it. And we felt it was... It was the fourth breaking down the fourth wall and bringing people into your world. And um, 
it can go against you in as much as you, they, they think, well, he stepped out and sung with me. I'll get on the stage and sing with him. But it didn't happen very often and we were normally okay. But yeah, I perform in a different, uh, I don't sing in a different way, but of course you perform in a different way. And you have to, you don't want to stand there like a statue, Dennis. So you have to learn how to stand, how to kind of um, quote unquote, again, look cool with a microphone. Because a guitar is fairly easy to look cool with because it's a cool instrument. But when you're standing there and singing, you want to look like, uh, you know, making it look easy. My guy makes it look easy in as much as he's tall enough to have a lean on the speaker. He'll uh, sing. Some, some some songs I sing holding the mic. Some, sing, uh, some are sung with, um, with it on the stand and I'll hold it a certain way. Um, some of them are sung... Um, out in the audience, some some of them are sung with me sitting on the edge of the stage. If I'm singing something like sitting on the dock of the bay, sometimes I physically sit on the edge of the stage and uh, and have that visual. So you have um, less limits. You can do whatever you want to do, really, within reason, and then you can stand in a different way and um, do more. So you perform differently, but you don't sing any differently. There's no less effort or or more or any change in the way that you sing, Dennis. But that's a, that's a really good question, mate, and I, and I appreciate your time uh, to send me that. Thanks very much, mate. Alice from Gravesend in Kent. Hello, Marcus, and all that grassroots. I just wondered, can you tell if a musician is self-taught? What bad techniques on stage have you seen that you'd love to correct? Um, I, that's a really good question. I think, Alice, that most musicians are self-taught. In as much as, you know, you, we, we all learn the theory of it. We all learn where the, where the hands go. We all learn the chords. We all learn the um, pieces. But then we kind of develop our own identity and uh, with, with the skills we get, we're given. And um, I, I would assume, although I, I couldn't prove it because I didn't do that, that, um, you know, there are builders or bricklayers who, of course, adhere to the rules and have certain ways of doing things but they still express themselves in a different way and maybe have slightly different ideas and maybe have slightly different um, theories in, in terms of the design or have opinions on whether or not, um, you know, they should have maybe another row of bricks before the back garden or, you know, that sort of thing. So they have their own identity, but the way they do that is within the, the boundaries of technique. The obvious signs, if someone is self-taught, are just things like they... I've seen... Um, left-handed guitar players play a right-handed guitar upside down. So they've played the chords upside down, um, which tells me that they were self-taught. I think sometimes um, you can you can tell if somebody's playing a, a guitar in open tuning, sometimes that means they, they've, they've found a way of doing it. But I, I don't know if you can tell straight away. Um, I think the, turning the argument on, his, on its head, I think you can tell a classically trained musician straight away. Like, you know, straight away you can tell a classically trained musician um, just by the way that they sit, the way they stand, the way they hold the guitar, if it's a classical guitar, um, maybe the way they sit at the piano. You know, if, if you take, um, you know, someone like Richard Clayderman and you put him, or I'm going back in time here, but some of these famous um there's the, the, the Chinese gentleman who plays the piano. If you look at the way that they sit at the piano or any classically trained pianist and you com you compare them to Jerry Lee Lewis or Ray Charles, it's they're different in the way they move. And it's very much like you can tell a classically trained musician straight away. Um, but it's very rare to tell, you know, particularly at grassroots, 
I think most musicians at grassroots are self-taught. And if they're not self-taught, then they're, they're encouraged to play the guitar in a way that kind of suits the style that they want to learn in. So it's no good teaching somebody how to play, um, you know, some beautiful classical pieces like La Senza and, and Cavatina and stuff like that if they really want to play Blink-182. So they kind of take a bit of that style and um, and kind of classically trained musicians are pretty much that. You don't get many classically trained musicians, although there probably are exceptions and I'll probably have a ton of comments under my feet, um, that play rock and roll. Most of the classically trained musicians play classical music. And um, so I don't know if, if in, in the world of, of, um, of Tennessee if a lot of the fiddle players are classically trained and can play, um, you know, some, some Strauss waltzes and things like that. I think they could if they had to, but I think they pretty much took the techniques to to um, learn how where the notes were, if you like, and how the notes were played, and then adopted it to their own or adapted it to their own style. Um, I think it's a, it's a tough one. I think you can tell... Um, I don't think you can tell if a singer's self-taught. I think you can tell if someone's had a few lessons in as much as the, how they how they are. And you, you can tell if someone's experienced or not. That's that's another kind of way of answering it. You can tell if someone's got experience up there or not. I think if someone's blagging it, you can tell straight away because they're kind of there's a silence between songs. They're I'm in an R and I don't really know what to say to the audience. Um, and I look back at some of my shows when, you know, when I first started, a couple of them were videoed and a couple of them were recorded. And and I'm like, oh my God, the silence between, you don't want to be like a DJ, you know, as you finish one song, straight into the next, straight into the next, straight into the next. But um, sometimes it's nice to have medleys, join some stuff together. If people are dancing, keep it going. But um, anyway, um, I don't think you can you can always tell, but the, the there are... I've seen a couple of things, uh, techniques on stage that I'd like to co to correct are that people don't read the audience sometimes. I think um, you, you've got an audience dance floor that's nice and full um, and it's only just been full. You know, this, you've, you've only played two songs and people are dancing and and then they'll play a slow one. And I think, no, you know, get, get another get another couple of fast ones in. And once people start sort of read your audience, if they start looking at each other and wiping their brow or something, you think, right, slow one, change it. And the other thing is, well, you play a slow one, maybe another slow one. And then sometimes you play another slow one. You go, no, because that, that was a respite. And then what happens is when you play a couple of slow songs, it gets a dance floor full of the couples. And if you play another song that's kind of in between where they can kind of dance, but uh, not not sort of jive, but can sort of do a bit of a dance, like, I don't know, build me up buttercup or something like that. Some of the slow dancers will stay up for another um, song because they'll think, well, we've, we've, we're dancing, we might as well do up on the roof or something, where you can do a slow uh, or a slow fast dance, let's put it that way. Um, before you go whacking into Johnny Be Good and Route 66 and, you know, Carol, Carol and Quo. So you can tell if somebody is new to it or somebody who isn't, um, you know, who, who's blagging it. And that's the honest truth. I think somebody who hasn't played the game for very long. And we've all got to start somewhere. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not having a go. But, um, yeah, I think the, the techniques I'd want to correct on stage would be the umming and ahhing in between songs. It would be the... Um, 
the tuning you know if you have to tune you have to tune all right but it's it, if everybody else is quiet while you do it it's a horrible place to be standing up there the other thing as well is is the things that i've talked about before you know having a spare guitar up there you know or just being able to change guitar if you break a string or something these are the things that i'd want to correct not necessarily anybody's technique although sometimes i've i've watched singers on stage and and they've just stood behind a microphone and, and haven't moved at all. And then I've wanted to say to them, you know, look, it's a big stage. You can move around, do something. But that I know that's going to come with experience and practice. And that comes back to my point, which is you can tell if somebody's new to it or not. If somebody's uh, an intermediate. You know, and the old pros, just they turn up with a gear, probably no sound check, go on. And, and straight away you think, it should be all right here. Don't get me wrong. There's some people who look like old pros who come in and, and are terrible. But I think usually I can tell as soon as somebody walks in if they're going to be good or not before they've even played a note. Just by the way they set up, just by the way they stand, just by the way the microphone's set up sometimes. If it's, you know, I don't really know how to explain that, but sometimes you can see it and you say, no, that's set up a certain way. They don't even know how to set up a microphone stand, you know, they've got it sort of pointing out this way and all the weights at the top. And as soon as they put a microphone on that, it's going to topple over. It's like a crane, you know. Um... So you can tell, I can tell a lot about a band before they've even played a note because I've been there and I've done it and, I, and I've, uh, some of the shows I played from years ago and, and I'll admit it, they were, they were pretty, pretty lousy. But um, we had to learn somewhere, we have to learn and, and we were good enough to keep going through and after about two or three years you suddenly think that worked, that didn't work and it's the same as everything else. So I've done it for so many years that I, like I know bricklayers who come around and look at, uh, you know, look at the house next door and sort of go, yeah, I know, I could have done with another couple of bricks there or, or oh, they've used those bricks, yeah, and they're not as waterproof as they could be, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, and again, everybody adapts that, that the, the technique to their own style and what they want to do. But um, I'm glad you asked me that and I hope you enjoyed my answer. Thank you very much for your question, Alice. Cheers. <laughs> Ever wanted to play guitar? 10 minute tutorials. Now on YouTube, beginner's guitar. Marcus takes you through the early stages, tuning, basic chords, and strum patterns to start you on your journey. For further information, go to www.innovationstudios.com. This question is from Samuel in Leytonstone, and he says, Hi, Marcus. Um, are there any disadvantages to being a left-handed guitar player? Um, have a listen back, Samuel, a few weeks ago, just before Christmas, one of those ones. I, or it might be the one just after Christmas. I had a question about being a left-handed guitar player, but I'll, for, I'll give you a brief summary of that. The only disadvantages, really, um, are just the choice of guitars, or at least it was for, for many, many years. Um, it never stopped Paul McCartney. Um, as far as I'm aware, you know, being a left-handed drummer has never stopped Phil Collins. Um, and now I'm sort of clutching at straws trying to think of left-handed musicians, and there are hundreds, and I now I can't think. And uh, Ringo was a left-handed drummer who played on a right-handed kit, and that's why the, that's why his drumming was so unique. So um, I don't think being a left-handed guitar player, there are any disadvantages. Once you understand how to read tab, how to read top-line music, how to understand chords, how to understand how they're formed, 
Um, what I've found as well sometimes is the left-handers kind of think backwards. And when I'm when I'm writing up the chords, because the usual chord charts that you can download um, are just written in traditional form. Whereas uh, I think if there isn't one, I've not seen one, but if, if there is a book, the left-handed guitar player, they should do the, the chord charts. You know, the it's like the grid and then with the dots on as to where to put your, your fingers when you're playing a chord. I draw them back to front for my left-handed pupils because... When they look down at their guitar and then look at their music stand, they're looking at something different to what I'm looking at. So I like that to keep that, that consistent. So for instance, um, if I were drawing an E minor, I would draw my grid and at the top I would label it uh, for a right-hander, 654321. And then I'd put the E minor on there. So I'd put um, the fifth string, second fret, fourth string, second fret. There's your E minor. For a left-handed guitar player, I would number the strings one, two, three, four, five, six, and then put the the chart on there, the fingers on, second fret, five, fifth string, second fret, fourth string, but it would look back to front. It would be like a mirror image of a normal uh, chord chart. So again, if, you, if you're learning something, and, and I, I don't know, you probably, I, I'm not inventing the wheel here, but to be honest with you, Samuel, sometimes you can do, you can do things like um, very, very easily. If you download the chord charts, you know, the E minors, the E's, where they put your fingers and you open them in paint and then flip them horizontally back to front. They will then be um, exactly what you see when you look down. So rather than trying to think backwards and reverse everything, because the story is that John Lennon learned all the chords one way from Paul McCartney and then, you know, taught himself how to play the other way. Um, so, you know, because he, he had... Um, Paul McCartney had his left-handed guitar and so, so John learned how to play the chords upside down. I mean, lots of stories about that, whether they're true or not, I don't know. You'd have to ask uh, Paul McCartney. Um, but I think if you could, you could horizontally rotate the picture so that it, um, if, cause it, I'm sure that there probably are things out there now, but 20 years ago, being a left-hander trying to learn, um, it, I think it's easier for a left-hander when you're working together because they when you're strumming and you're playing something they have the exact mirror image whereas if i'm playing with another right hand the neck of my guitar is to my left and the neck of their guitar is to their left so they're as far apart as they could be but a right hander the neck of his guitar is directly facing yours a left hander i should say so um in that case it's i think it's actually an advantage but when you're trying to learn about chord shapes then you do need to you know understand that what you see is different to what what the chart is so i think sometimes take get the pictures get the cool charts off of google as, as jpegs or whatever and then uh, open them in paint or lots of different options and horizontally reverse them so they are back to front and then they'll look the same as they should when you look down samuel but no i don't think there are any disadvantages other than the choice of guitars which these days there are a few more but still they're catering for most mostly right-handed guitar players um and I don't know if you have to pay more. You used to have to pay a lot more for a left-handed guitar. I don't um, I don't know if you actually do these days. You might still have to. Um, but, yeah, there, there are no real disadvantages that some of the most successful musicians that there's ever been have been left-handers. So, um, you know, don't, don't ever worry about it. And there are certainly no disadvantages. And um, certainly embrace it. Reverse your picture so you can um, see exactly what you need to see. You understand the tab is all exactly the same. You know where your frets are. You know where your strings are. Um, 
no no disadvantages at all that I can see other than choice of guitars and, and sometimes a chord chart, Samuel. But uh, thanks for your question, mate. You're going to have a really good day. This one's from Mick. And Mick is in Greenhithe, um, which I believe is up towards um, the what used to be the Millennium Dome and the O2 and stuff like that. But uh, I could be wrong. But Mick says, hi, Marcus. I just wondered... Um, what precautions should you take to protect your hearing long term for a career in music? Um, hello, Mick. Um, it's funny you should say that um, because we we worked twenty odd years ago. We we when we made the first Wall to Wall album, which actually I bought my own album by the way, which is a crazy thing to do, but I did because I don't have a copy of it. So I I found it on eBay and I bought my own or our own album, the Wall to Wall album, Ugly Village Hall, um, from nineteen ninety eight. And I remember having a conversation with our engineer, who was called Mick Moore. And he was saying that a friend of his had just started a career in the music industry and he got tinnitus. So he was basically finished. Um, the things that you can do to protect your hearing um, are being sensible um, with the things that can really send you deaf. And what can really send you deaf is having your Walkman, it used to be Walkmans, your iPod, having that too loud in your ear. And this was the argument that I always had. I had a couple of people who wanted to sponsor me and get me to try out their in-ear monitors, which I'm sure that, you know, if you're if you're playing a, a bigger venue and you've got the space on stage is one thing. But I never liked them because I always felt they had to be so much louder than everything else that would be on the stage and therefore would damage my hearing. And, and I I can't say that I've I've protected my hearing over the years, um, but I was always careful there's a point you get to where you feel like this is starting to hurt now you've got to stop and as an engineer and as a producer and as a listener to music it's important to leave space to rest your ears to take that time when you're mixing something mix a song get it done and maybe maybe you know the next song if you're work, working mixing a whole album trying to get an album mixed in a day or two you take some time in the morning you set it up you get it ready so you get the levels where you think they are before you add the effects and you step away and um, just take five minutes, ten minutes, and then you come back in, mix it, and then you, when you're happy, listen to it one more time, step away for five minutes, come back in. You have to, very much like somebody who uses a PC has to rest their eyes, um, people who, who are in music have to rest their ears. The long-term damage, I mean, you can blow your ears out in a morning if you have that much um, sound going in into your ears from your um, iPod or your iPhone. You, you've got your headphones. and um, But protecting your long-term hearing. The other thing as well, I mean, I've worked with people who, who uh, you know, part-time musicians and during the week are working with drills, working with working in factories. Um, and, and they say their hearing's playing up. And I don't always know that it's the music that's doing that. I think that maybe if they're going to wear earplugs, they need to do it at the factory. Um and they, they've they've developed the technology over the years. There are many many things you can do when you're on stage. But I always found that the the hearing devices, if you want if you want to call them that, that I would put in, would take everything down. It, like I ended up singing a little bit flat. I couldn't hear things the way I wanted to hear them. It, it, it didn't sound the same, and I couldn't ever get used to it. But that's not to say that you shouldn't use them. It's just to say that was my experience of it. Um, the precautions really. Um, are just to be sensible. If you're listening to music and you've got it, 
in your car, keep it to a reasonable level. I mean, my daughter likes to play her music loud. I like to play my music loud. Um, and I've been to some loud shows over the years. I've been to see Motorhead and Slayer and Iron Maiden and ACDC twice. And I thought, I thought they were going to blow my ears off the second time. So loud. Um, and I remember for about two or three days afterwards, my ears were gone. They, they took about two or three days to recover. And it's quite frightening when it happens to you. Um, but, I mean, it takes quite a lot to damage your hearing, but you don't want to get tinnitus. You don't want to ring it in your ears. Um, and also, it's where you position the amps and where you stand in rehearsals as well. You know, if you if you put your amp on a on a chair and then you stand right in front of it and face it, then you're going to go deaf. But if you put your amp on a chair and you um, stand and face the other way and you can hear your amp, but it's not it's not going straight directly into your ears. That's the thing that people have to remember is when bands are loud in a pub, on stage, it doesn't feel as loud because the sound is behind us and our ears point forwards. So if you, as an experiment, put something on your on your stereo at home and then turn your back on it and uh, deflect the sound into your ear, you'll find it gets louder because that's the way your ears face. They, they face forward. So when we're on stage with all this noise behind us, it's hitting the back of our ear where the cartilage is. But if we turn around and look at the amp, all of a sudden it's deafening. Um, so, you know, and music is an industrial noise. It's, it's probably as loud as drills. It's as loud as factories. It's as loud as hammers and, and all of those sort of things and, and car mechanics with some of their power tools. Being on stage is every bit as loud as that. Um, but you, you have to be sensible. Don't have your music too loud in your car for too long. Don't have the music um, in your ears if you don't need it. You know, if, if you're trying to listen to your iPod on a train, have it as loud as you can hear it, but not loud enough that it's going to damage your hearing. And these days, there are technology has changed a lot. So it's not as simple as going to the pound shop, getting a pair of earphones, sticking them in. Everything was tinny. Everything was rough. It hurt your ears. Um, just rest your ears and be sensible. And if during the week you are using power tools and drills and stuff like that, get a pair of earplugs. You know, save your hearing. Because if you start getting tinnitus, if you start losing your hearing and you want a career in music, you're done. I always felt so sorry for that guy. I never met him. But I always felt so sorry that he'd just broken into the music industry as an engineer and a producer. And then he gets tinnitus and that's it. His career's done. He's finished. And I just, I was gutted for him. And it's the big fear. And But, but these days, technology has improved. You've had Brian Johnston from Johnson. Um, from ACDC, who's who's had an, uh, you know he's had some some work done on his ears, and now he's got uh, his hearing I say back, but he's got a degree of his hearing back, and he's able to perform again. Famously, Pete Townsend from the Who had tinnitus, um, and it was like uh, bells and whistles in his ear, which is what he said, and, and, and whooshes and stuff like that. Um, it's you know it's that sort of thing. It's like you know the, I think tinnitus is very much you know it's it's the old wives tale and I hope I'm not bursting anybody's bubble here but it's like when you pick up a shell and you put it to your ear and people will say to you um that's your um that's uh, the the sound of the sea that you can hear and it's not it's of course it's the inner workings of your head but as your ear as your ears go if your ears end up with getting being damaged it's like having your fingers in your ears 
And when your fingers are in the in your ears, all of the S's and all of the P's and everything else are a lot more pronounced. And that's what happens. Um, so you suddenly, you hear your voice in a different way. And if you put your fingers in your ears, everything is a bit deeper, everything's a bit lower. Um, Paul Stanley from Kiss um, was born with, um, I say he was born with one ear. He was, he was born with hearing in one ear. Um, and they developed a device for him to hear out of both, but he got used to hearing out of one. And, you know, from what I've read, never had it, so didn't think about it. But um, I think it's the obvious things. It's just being careful. It's just um, not having your iPod too loud. It's not having your music deafening. And at the point where it starts to hurt, turn it down. And um, sometimes mix up your playlist a bit. You know, if you're listening to heavy metal, fine, but... You know, now and again, just stick a couple of ballads in there. You know, metal ballads, but that just don't blow your eardrums off. Because everyone thinks it's great to be young and trendy and play your music loud, but it's not so great to be, you know, older and deafer because you damaged your ears. And once your ears have, have been damaged, although there's lots of technology that can repair it, they'll never be as they were. So it's just not worth it. Be sensible. Um, when you're on stage, if you want to use the in-ear monitors and stuff like that, again, technology has improved. It's a lot of money, but it's better. Um, and um, that that sort of improved a lot of people as well because you don't have the monitor on the floor that's pointing right up at you. Although, I, I mean, I prefer that, but some people don't. They like to have everything in their ear. But I think what can damage your ears is if you're working in a loud environment during the week when you're not performing um, and also... Um, high end. If your if if your if your speaker if your amp is pointing directly at you, do something about that. Just um, move it down a bit so you can hear the edge of it, the sound of it, but it's not right in your face. It's just common sense. But um, thank you very much for your question. I appreciate it. Need help setting up your own home studio? Why not book a consultation online? Here at Innovation Studios, we can help and advise on the best equipment for you your ideas, your budget, and your space. Maybe even book a home visit. We can help you set up, install, and use your software, offering a recording workshop in your very own studio in your very own home, going through techniques and offering advice and guidance to get you up and running. Go to www.innovationstudios.com for further information. Albert in Chesson. Hi, Marcus. What music would make you turn off the radio? <laughs> I can't answer that one, Albert. I really can't because I just sound like some old man, just some, some lousy moaning old man. But um, uh, look, there's something for everybody and there's something that, you know, music's good or bad and that's depending on the individual. So you can't, it's not for me to really um, pick fault. The only thing I will say on it is how often you might have one of these major radio stations that have a playlist of about 12 songs. Um, they normally have two new singles, then they have a couple of other songs, and then they, they drag out an old favourite that you haven't heard for years, and you think, oh, I've not heard this for years. And then all of a sudden it keeps coming round and round and round. Um, and it might be 25, 30 years. I remember a couple of years ago, Go West, the king of wishful thinking. It just kept turning up on the radio. And you go, but this is 35 years ago. And Break My Stride, 35 years ago. Why is it coming on the radio? Why is it on a playlist? It hasn't been heard for 35 years. And it's up there with the Olly Murs and the, 
you know, Carly Rae Jensen's and, and the Bruno Mars and all that, all this modern stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't really say because I think as a musician, it would be wrong of me to to um, really, you know, point the finger at any genre or any style because there's something for everybody and I, uh, that would cause too big an argument. But what usually makes me turn off the radio is the same repetitive stuff. So if if there's a radio station that they like smooth, I love smooth, I really do. And and coming back from a show, you put smooth on, it's beautiful. But my God, how many times can you hear Vincent by Don McLean? You know, in the end, I think I can't listen to it. I listen to it sort of now and again. But if I gigged every night, I think no, you know what you're gonna get. You know you're gonna get smooth operator. You know you're gonna get back for good. You know you're gonna get Vincent. And and in the end, you think, oh, I can't, I can't deal with this. So it's repetitive stuff. It's stuff where you can almost uh, predict what's going to be played in the next hour. That's what makes me turn off, turn off the radio. It's not the modern stuff or the modern music. All these kids don't know they're born. It's all loud. No, 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 no. It's all music because there's some good stuff out there. And as someone who's um, beginning to sort of enjoy my daughter's music, and I shouldn't admit that, but there's things like Five Seconds of Summer. I'm like, I, I can't. That's quite a good song, you know. Um, I'm ne- I've never been prejudiced against any kind of music. I've listened to classical music and you know rap music, and because it's all music and it it, it all has its place. And um, I think if you turn around and say I'm not going to listen to that because I don't like it. You're not giving it a chance. There are bands out there that I don't get that have got millions of followers, millions of fans, sold millions of albums, and I listen to it and I think that's pap. It's just because I don't like it. It doesn't mean it's pap. It just means I don't get it. So what makes me turn off the radio is um, when you know you're going to get the same old same old songs being played every single day. Thank you for your question. Uh, Philip from Benfleet. Hi, Marcus. Can you still be musical if you're tone deaf? Um, yes, you can. You just can't necessarily sing. But yeah, you can be musical. You can still... Um, yeah, I think being tone deaf is how you hear your own voice as opposed to how you uh, actually play something. But I'd, I'd say you, you can be, yeah. I think being tone deaf is more applied to when someone's singing out of tune than when they're actually playing a, a guitar. Um, again, I could be wrong on it. But... Um, I think a lot of the time, tone deafness is really about um, being how you hear your own voice, how you hear it as it, as it's predicted, and you maybe you can't find the melody in it. But I think I don't know. I mean, I, I've never been tone deaf, or at least some people would argue that. But I've never been tone deaf, so I don't know. But I mean, my my mum was, you know, by her own admission, and it is tone deaf. She can't sing. And my daughter, by her own admission, is tone deaf and can't sing. But it doesn't mean she can't play the guitar and know when she's playing something right or wrong. And my mum would know if if the band would play a bum note. She'd sort of look and she knew something wasn't right. So I think tone deafness is, is more applied to um, how we hear our own voice in our head when we're singing as opposed to how we hear an instrument that we're playing. But I don't know what if there's probably scientific experiments and, 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 you know, that have all been done over the years. Who knows? All right. Who am I to say it? But I think you can still learn an instrument. You can still be proficient at it. You can still be a songwriter without being able to sing. Um, you can still create music without being able to, um, 
you know, hear it the same way as everybody else or being able to sing. And, and you've got to remember that Beethoven was supposedly deaf. And you've got to remember that um, I'm sure that there are, there are very successful uh, musicians out there who, who had, you know, I mean, you know, people who, who, who suffered from blindness and things like that were still able to create things. So I don't know if, if being tone deaf stops you from um, being um, a uh, musician, but I think it can probably stop you from being a singer. But, um, you know, I think everybody's different on that one, but um, that's my safe answer. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep it safe, all right? I'll leave it at that. Alfie from Vange, what would you say is the most awesome place you have played? Um, yeah. There are different reasons, different things, but I think for me to go and play the Cavern in Liverpool was the most amazing experience and remains so. Um, it's not the biggest place I've played. It's not the biggest show I've played. It's not the biggest um, crowd I've played to, but to go and play there, to even set foot in the place and not be a tourist, to be actually paid to play there, I'd say the Cavern in Liverpool was the most magical and probably Butlins um, at Bognor because I grew up there um, pretty much. That was my holiday every every year. So to be there and to be able to perform on that stage where I'd seen so many of my uh, heroes growing up. You know, I, I, I had, when I was a kid, my heroes were people like the Beatles and Freddie and the Dreamers and Jerry and the Pacemakers. And I'd seen them all, not the Beatles at, the, at Butlins, but I'd seen Jerry and the Pacemakers and the Swinging Blue Jeans. And I ended up, we ended up working with them a few times, actually, at various um, at various times. But, um, yeah, to play the Cavern and to go and see the, you know, Paul McCartney's bass there and um, to see the couple of old posters and to... Uh, and to see the wall there, I know it's not the original cavern. I know the original one was knocked down, and I know, I know that. And it would have been nice to have played the original one, um, but I don't feel like a fraud when I play it. I don't feel like a fraud when they promote it, and people that play there still count it as the cavern. So I guess that um, you know it is what it is. But to play there and to highlight it and to sell it out with with the Isis tribute was the most awesome place I've played at Alfie, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Okay, that wraps it up from me because I've got to go and get ready for my show. Um, I'll let you know next week how it went, but I'm hoping I'll be all right. Um, thank you again for your questions. Thank you to everybody that takes the time to listen and uh, give me your little bit of feedback. Thank you for uh, your, sub your subscriptions and uh, for following me and for um, just, to, just basically being my mate, really. All right. If you're driving anywhere at the moment and listening to this, go safely. If you're laid on a beach somewhere in Dubai and listening to this, I wish I was with you. All right. Take very good care. I'll be back next week with some more questions. Keep them coming. www.innovationstudios.com is the website. Innovationstudios.uk at Gmail is the Gmail. You can Twitter me at Innovation Studios. You can Skype me at Innovation Studios. Send a message on there. Get in touch with me. And if I can help you, I will. I hope you've enjoyed what I had for you this week. You take very good care. I'm out of here, all right? Yours in music, signing off. Bye-bye for now.